Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. open your Bible to Psalm 64. That would be great. It'll be on the screen at the beginning, but we'll be kind of jumping in and out of it as I preach, and so it would be good for you to have it in front of you so you can make sure I'm not making it up. This morning, our psalm is about uh, enemies. A lot of psalms about enemies as we've been going through the psalms. Um, We've seen David or other psalmists praying against Their enemy is asking for protection from their enemies. How do we understand enemies when it comes to the book of Psalms? Obviously, David had real physical enemies, but David was a type of Christ. He was the representative of his people, of God's people. And thus, his enemies were the enemies of God's people. And so today... In light of Christ's coming and what he has done on the cross for us, we can at times understand our enemies as physical enemies against the church of Christ. But also, and what we're going to do this morning, is we're going to look at our enemies as sin and Satan and the ways that they attack us on a daily basis. So let's read together Psalm 64. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. For the director of music, a psalm of David. Hear me, my God, as I voice my complaint. Protect my life from the threat of the enemy. Hide me from the conspiracy of the wicked, from the plots of evildoers. They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim cruel words like deadly arrows. They shoot from ambush at the innocent. They shoot suddenly without fear. They encourage each other in evil plans. They talk about hiding their snares. They say, who will see it? They plot injustice and say, we have devised a perfect plan. Truly, the human heart and mind are cunning. But God will shoot them with his arrows. They will suddenly be struck down. He will turn their own tongues against them and bring them to ruin. All who see them will shake their heads in scorn. All people will fear. They will proclaim the word of God and ponder what he has done. The righteous will rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. All the upright in heart will glory in him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word and that it never returns void. May you uh, bless its preaching and uh, remind us of the gospel through it. Um, Help us to depend more deeply on you through it. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So the Worthington family, Mr. and Mrs. Worthington and their young daughter, were uh, your average everyday citizen of the United Kingdom, except for the fact that they lived in the United Kingdom in the early 1940s during something called the Battle of Britain. During the Battle of Britain, 
on an almost a daily basis, the air raid sirens would go off announcing that the German Air Force was about to bomb the city and the surrounding areas. So the Worthington family did what many other families did during that time. They went and sought shelter in what was called an Anderson shelter. There were these uh, shelters built into the ground. Six people would live in them. They had kind of a, a dome-type roof. They were small, so unless you got hit with a direct hit, you should be okay from the bombs. And so that's where they lived for a long period of time every day, hearing the sirens going off hearing the bombs drop around them, wondering if today would be the day that a bomb directly hit them. It's terrifying. They're under constant threat of attack, not knowing when it would strike, not knowing how badly it would hurt. This morning, are you under attack? Are you under attack? Maybe not by under threat of your life by some person. Maybe that's true, but probably not for most of us. But are you under attack? And this morning I want to ask you, are you under attack from shame? Is shame creeping at the door, constantly threatening your value and your worth? Is shame constantly telling you you are worthless? Is your shame constantly telling you you're a failure, you aren't living up? Maybe you deal with negative self-talk, you're constantly beating yourself up because of your shame. And you're calling your own identity into question. Your shame tells you things like you are the worst, you're worthless, you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough. These attacks on your subconscious often lead to despair, lead to hiding, lead to running into refuge like the Worthingtons did. My question this morning is where are you running to find refuge from your shame? The psalmist here is seeking refuge as these attacks from his enemies sound very much like the attacks that shame bring against us. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, they sharpen their tongues like swords and aim cruel words like deadly arrows. They shoot from ambush at the innocent. They shoot suddenly without fear. Where do you run when you feel attacked by your shame? Do you run to self-medicate? Run to some substance or relationship or some other distraction that is going to bring you away from the shame that makes you feel maybe at least momentarily stop feeling it the world will tell you that the solution to your shame is positive self-talk you just need to tell yourself you're amazing you just tell yourself every day i'm amazing i'm amazing i'm amazing eventually you will believe it and you will overcome your shame. But the problem with that is it's ultimately empty. Yeah, sure, you can, you can say you're worth, you're worth everything. You have value, you have dignity, but where does that dignity actually come from? At the end of the day, how can you know for sure you're not just convincing yourself of a lie? And when you realize that, the shame begins 
to creep back in. This passage gives us hope, though. This passage gives us hope that when we are under attack from our shame, it tells us we can run to the Lord. The Lord who hears us and the Lord who rescues us. Those are our points this morning. The Lord who hears us and the Lord who rescues us. The Lord hears us. The Worthingtons were cowering, wondering if the attack would ever hit them. And then the unthinkable happened. One morning, as they were bunkering down, the air raid sirens had gone off, and they didn't even know what happened, but a giant explosion blew up all around them. It seemed like it was everywhere, and the entire shelter collapsed in on top of them. Amazingly, they survived. They did not die immediately, but they were trapped trapped under the rubble, trapped under the burden of all the things that had fallen on top of them, and they begin to cry out and to moan and to call for help, and they wonder, will I be heard? Will I be heard by someone who can help me? The good news for us this morning is that when we feel under attack by feelings of shame, the Lord hears us. He hears us. That's the first thing the psalmist says here in verse 1. He says, hear me, O God, as I voice my complaint. Protect my life from the threat of the enemy. A complaint is better translated, perhaps, as the troubles of my heart. The psalmist is calling out for God to hear him, and he's calling out because he knows that God will. God will hear him. He's confident that God will hear him. Now, there's different kinds of hearing, right? You know, the first kind of hearing is the kind I often do to my wife. She talks, says a bunch of things, I'm on my phone or doing something else, and she says, are you even listening to me? And I say, yeah, of course, I can repeat everything you said. That is not true listening, right? That does not ever make her happy when I say I can repeat what you said. True listening, the kind of listening that God does for us, is the type of listening where you enter in with what they're saying. You seek understanding of where they're at. You seek sympathy and empathy you listen intently and you care about what they are sharing to you. That is how God listens to us. God listens to his children. And he cares deeply about their situation. He engages with them in it. He hears your struggles with shame, with compassionate and loving ears. But it's not just compassion and loving sympathy. It's actual empathy. Because we know, because of the cross, that our Lord himself knows pain and suffering. He knows what it means to be scorned and mocked and shamed by his enemies. And it is this God who engages with us and hears us when we are suffering. This psalm, then, is actually an invitation to us. It's an invitation for us to go to him. To go to him and to bring our hearts to him. To bring our struggles, to bring the troubles of our heart to God and to be assured that he will hear us. I've mentioned this before, but I want us to think of our shame or the struggles that we have in general as kind of like Pavlov's dog, right? Pavlov is a scientist who was able to train his dog by giving them food every single time he rang a bell, he would give them food. Ring a bell, 
give them food. And so eventually he was able to train their response so deeply that when he rang the bell, even before he gave them food, they would begin to salivate. Even if he never gave them food, the bell would make them salivate. May our shame, may our struggles with self-doubt, our struggles with insecurity, may those be reminders like the bell of Pavlov's dog to immediately begin looking to the Lord, to going to him, saying, okay, I'm feeling this shame again. That's a reminder to me. That's the bell dinging saying, hey, I need to run to the Lord and hear from him. I need to run and have him enter in with me into my struggles. It's an invitation Our struggles sometimes make us ask, why is God so distant? But actually our struggles are saying, God is saying to us, come to me. Come close. It's an invitation. But the good news is God doesn't just want to hear us. He also wants to help us. As the Worthingtons were under this burden of all of these things, wondering if anyone would hear them, they cried out, help, help someone heard. A young uh, part of the local uh, ambulance department heard her, a young woman named Betty Popkiss, and she rescued them. She began digging them out, pulling the burden off, allowing them to feel free. God comes to the aid of his people, and he rescues them. God rescues his people. How? By turning the attacks of the enemy back on them, back on the enemy. Taking the enemy's attacks and then reversing them and sending them back against the enemy themselves. You see that here in this passage. Verse 3, what are the enemies doing? They're saying they sharpen their tongues like swords. But what does God do in verse 8? He turns their own tongues against them brings them to ruin. What does it say the enemies do in verse 3? It says they aim cruel words like deadly arrows, but what does God do? God will shoot them with his arrows. They will suddenly be struck down. What does the enemy do? They think think proudly. They plot injustice and say, we have devised a perfect plan. Surely the human mind and heart are cunning. But what does God do? God reveals their plans. God brings them to ruin. God sees them and shakes his head in scorn. So how does God do this? Okay, that's good imagery, but how does God actually take the attacks of the enemy and shoot them back at the other, at at them? He does it on the cross. He does it ultimately on the cross. Think about this. Why does shame have so much power over us? Why does shame have so much power over us? Why do we so easily believe it when it tells us we are undeserving, when it tells us we are failures? Why is it so easy to believe? Because there's truth there. There's actually truth in the claims of shame. In Scripture, even God makes it clear to us that we have miserably failed to live up to the purpose he created us for. We have lived in rebellion against him. We have lived lives that are regularly self-focused that are turned away from him. We're not being what we're supposed to be. We are not deserving. We are not successful in our lives. But you see, the good news is that God, in his love for rebellious people like us, 
has redirected the enemy's arrows back at them on the cross. You see, the shame that we deserve, the shame that we deserve for our sin and for our failures was poured onto Christ on the cross. It was poured onto him. He took it on himself. It's like he took the arrow that was meant for us. It's like he's the the hero in the movie that jumps in front of the bullet that is coming for us. He takes the shame we deserve. He's the one that gets mocked. He is the one who gets scorned. He is the one who dies a death on a cross that just showed the world that this guy, he's just a miserable, worthless criminal. That is the death, the penalty that Christ took on himself. But in doing so, on the cross, he not only receives the blow of the enemy, he also launches the ultimate counterattack, the final defeat of our sin and our shame. Because in this act of sacrificial love for his people, in this act of denying himself, he bestows on us the antidote to our shame. He bestows on us dignity and worth. In the eyes of God, although we may not deserve it, because we can see the lengths that God went to to save us, We can't doubt that we have immense value in his eyes. We have immense worth. We have immense dignity in his eyes. So the key to defeating our shame isn't some self-empowered, positive self-talk of telling us we're awesome. The key isn't talking at all. The key is listening to the one who loves us. It's listening to the voice of the one who hears us and listening to the one who has desperately given everything for us. This is the voice that says to us, even in the midst of our shame, even in the midst of our knowledge of our own failures, he says, you don't carry the weight of your sin anymore because I have taken it on myself. He's the one who says, I know everything about you and I still want you. He's the one who says, you are my beloved child whom I love and whom I am well pleased. This is good news. In the midst of shame, this passage calls us to listen to our Father, to listen to what he has to say about us. And if you do, if you're able to listen to the voice of your father, instead of facing despair when you're attacked by shame, you can actually experience rejoicing. That's what it says in verse 10. The righteous will rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. All the upright in heart will glory in him. If you listen to the voice of your father, you can rejoice in attacks because attacks become an opportunity to know deeper God's love for you. The more deeply you feel your shame, the more beautiful you understand Jesus' work in you to be. That's the good news. The worse you are, the more amazing God's grace is that he could cover even that. And that's the truth. God covers our shame with himself. He gives us dignity and worth. I'm going to close with this. 
Who is this promise for? Whose shame is covered? Well, the promise for those who will rejoice is for the righteous. It says the righteous will rejoice in the Lord. My question this morning is who are the righteous? Who are the righteous? Are you one of them? The righteous, according to Scripture, are those who know that they are not worthy, know that they are desperately needy. They are those who are living in repentance of their sin, who have turned from it and turned to the Lord. And they are those who are trusting Christ alone for their righteousness. This morning, if you are under the burden of shame, if you are underneath that collapsed Anderson shelter and you don't know that there is hope, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to know Jesus, to know the one who loves you, to surrender your life to him, to repent of your sin to him, and to receive these promises for yourself, to find freedom, to call out from underneath that burden for help. And he will bring it. If you'd like to talk about that more, I encourage you to talk to me afterward or to mark off on one of those Keeping Connected cards that you're interested in becoming a Christian. My hope is that everyone here one day know the peace of having a God who hears us and a God who rescues us from our shame. Let's go to this Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your work in our lives, your work in our hearts, the ways that you uh, use even our shame to show us yourself. Thank you for covering our shame. Thank you for rescuing from us. Thank you for hearing us and understanding the pain we go through. I pray, Lord, now that you would uh, call us to a greater understanding so that there can be more rejoicing rather than despair in our lives. I pray, Lord, for those of you, those of, those of us here who do not yet know you, that you would bring us Bring them to a saving knowledge of the hope you offer. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogotá.org.